Hello, everybody. It is that time of year, the thing that only happens at E3 for Frame Trap. It's time for the weirdest segment ever, Noodles and Broth. If you're not familiar with what that means, I have three panelists with me today. I've got Michael Huber. Hello. Brandon Jones. Hello. And Ian Hink. Hello. And what they're going to give to me today is they're going to give me some noodles, a mm. big game that mm. they saw that really filled them with excitement, with oh. joy, with hype, something that felt like it was taking a glimpse at the future. Then they're also, because you can't just eat noodles by themselves, they're also going to give me some broth. And that's going to be a game that you, yes, you are sleeping on, that you are not paying attention to. And these guys are going to tell you that you should keep an eye on it. However, we have some important things to discuss. There is lore for this segment, and it started out as a simple thing where I would be this master chef. Bornobu Shizuya is the chef's name. And the reason I'm telling you that, on the last episode of Noodles and Broth, the chef, the master chef, asked you all, the Mm -hmm. apprentices, to remember the name. Yes. And that if you didn't remember it, he would punish you. (laughs) The reason I'm telling it to you now is there is a crisis. He cannot play games anymore. He can do, he can no longer do this 20 episode training arc that he was planning because a battle is about to begin and he has to accelerate your training. Gara attacked the village. Using dangerous methods. Oh no. So, Master Shizuya is taking you to a sacred place. A place where he purified his soul and expelled the devil noodle power. He's only referred to it as the White Mountain. There are stone steps leading up. You go into a cavern. There are three stone pillars. And on top of the stone pillars, there are three white bowls where you'll be making me the noodles and broth. And he says, this is the place where I purified my soul. But tonight, you are going to have to awaken something in me that I've banished for 100 years. Tonight, you are going to have to pull my devil trigger. (laughs) If you can pull my devil trigger, we might be able to summon the power to defeat those who would use the devil noodles against us. Also, if you are successful tonight, you will no longer be apprentice chefs. You will be honorary master chefs. And to reward you with that, he will don you in a chef costume that signifies your soul. Michael Huber, behind your pillar, there looks to be some sort of suit. It is blue. There are the words in white, (laughs) R-P-D written across it. What could it mean? Brandon Jones, behind your pillar, there's an outfit, a blue cap. And nestled with that blue cap are yellow goggles, a red scarf, and brown leather boots. There is a wooden mallet next to the outfit. It seems as though it would be good for building. Ian, behind your pillar, there are just two blades that look quite merciful. (laughs) Uh 
Ian is with us instead of Kyle Bossman because what we are about to do, the devil trigger is dangerous. And Kyle Bossman used the power of the devil moon <laughs> last time. So he could not accompany us on this journey and we had to bring in the promising young chef, mm-hmm. Ian Hink. Are you all ready to accept the challenge? Yes. I'm ready. I'm ready. <clears throat> Huber, I'm going to start with you. On this important occasion, on the eve of battle, what do you think will be an appropriate noodle to choose? Okay. Now, they're, ex- they're expecting me to say one thing. But I want to be unpredictable. So, my noodles for this evening are going to be skull and bones. Whoa! Skull and bones was a phenomenal 20 minutes of piracy on the high seas. Started out... Very, very intimately, very, very intensely, you walk in the room, and the first question you're asked is, what country are you from? They divided us into countries. (laughs) Different sides of the room. (laughs) Now... That seems like it could be very unbalanced, potentially. It, they made it work. Okay. Because wait, they... Div- wait, almost like easy allies? She's like, no, country. <laughs> oh. So they divided us. Now, you start this demo, everyone is alone in the demo. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you to freely explore and to freely uh, go about your business on the high seas as a pirate. And, you know, if you've played Black Flag, you can kind of feel the familiarity there, but... Being that the whole game is this, and Black Flag came out years ago, this is really, uh, it's it's arguably the best naval combat that I have ever played in a video game. What makes good naval combat? So, the like in uh, Black Flag, you know how there's wind and stuff, and you have to go with the wind flow? This is punishing. So if you're sailing into the wind, you're at like a dead stop. I needed to get places, and the wind is so unforgiving that it forces you to adapt. It forces you to change course, course correction, and maybe even go into hostile territory uh, just because of unfavorable winds, wind conditions. And it was such a great demo because of just the not only the feeling of being on the high seas... But being alone in the world, knowing that there are other human pirates out there, you know, there's this sense of uneasiness and the, the, the world felt big. So you don't really see anyone for a while, but then I would stumble across them. And you know me, I have no quarrel. So every time I saw someone, you can, you can quickly ally up. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. You know, I see like player two, hey, player two, like... Invite to the party, you know? They accept. Things are going well. So I'm fighting some big man of wars and taking things out. And another thing, too, is the mechanics of the cannons. Harsh cooldowns on the cannons, which I love. This isn't just spamming, you know, mortar fire and, and, and 
cannons, it's like you have to commit to each shot because to reload takes a long time. You're so vulnerable on the reload. Uh, what's really cool too is when you aim front frontwards, you can shoot the the like chain balls, and yeah. if you shoot it at their sails enough times, they get like a stun meter, and you can you can stun them in place, which is great. Uh, and then my special ability was a giant ram, and you have to time that right. It's amazing, but also not only is there wind conditions, but the water as well. So I would be coming in for a for a broadside ram, and the the waves would kind of bring me off course and take me to the right or the left, and I would completely miss them. I'd be vulnerable. Uh, it everything was just gr going great. So how committed were you to the ram? Extremely. Every time the cooldown was available, <laughs> I popped it. So we, we allied up, we were taking things out, and then, uh, you know, I get separated from the group because everyone's kind of, you know, we're together, but we're doing our own thing. And all of a sudden, player nine. <laughs> player nine escalates the situation. I know him. Starts coming after me. Yeah. We get in a huge naval battle. Things are getting out of control. It was like seven straight minutes of cannon fire, mortar fire, like the chain balls. We're like board re rebuilding the ship, like health. Like, we need to plank it up. Get the ship repaired. It's out of control. I get him down to a sliver of health. Demo's up. <laughs> the demo was up on the killing blow. But it just left me wanting more. And that's why it was so great. When this thing ended, I was itching to get back on the seas. But I would really want you to rematch with Player 9. Player like, 9. We should find this guy. Yeah. yeah. Player 9. Uh, Renegade. This, this sounds superficial, <laughs> but I think it's really important. Okay. Okay. When you're ramming into these ships, yeah. when you're blowing them apart with mm -hmm. cannonballs, mm -hmm. how is the destruction? It feels great, especially the broadside ram. Because the camera goes in. It's like not a, not a first person. I guess kind of, yeah, first person. It gets down in there on the ram. And, and you see your meter burning because you, you activate it and it's going down. It's going down fast. So you have to activate this at the exact right time. Mm -hmm. And you just slam into him. You can hear the other ship screaming out. <laughs> Prepare for impact! Like they're coming. Just the visceral nature of it. That's so you hype. slam into him. The whole, like so much damage. Like way more than even a cannon shot. Damage. Things are wood. Wood is flying everywhere. It, it feels great. Now I am not a ship man. I would say mm -hmm. I admire ships, but I'm not super knowledgeable about them. And when you think about this, mm -hmm. you know, reloading the cannons, make, paying attention to the direction of the wind, mm -hmm. repairing your ship, just moving this huge, beautiful vessel around. Mm -hmm. It seems really intense. Just doing it on an open ocean. Yeah. It seems even more intense when other players are trying to sink you. Yeah. Did you feel overwhelmed? Was it easy to pick up? Like, how are they presenting these mechanics mm -hmm. to you? It felt really great because, again, you, you you pop in kind of by yourself, and the map felt so big but not overwhelming. And, you know, there's this... I can imagine playing online, there's this initial first contact, like alien style, you know, first contact, 
are we friends? Are we going to join a party together? So there's that kind of uneasiness. But it, it, you know, there were like 12 of us, I think, in the demo. And I only saw a couple people. Uh, so... So yeah, it, it wasn't too overwhelming. There's a lot of NPCs kind of floating around. Um, things are... Uh, something that I think may be criticized and I was kind of apprehensive about is the way you board them. Mm. It just does a cutscene. Okay. Mm. Also, That's super disappointing. So I thought it was disappointing, but the pace of the game... Uh, sure. It lends itself to the pace, you know, because it is it is a pretty fast-paced game. You take a ship out, boredom, they go on, get the loot, you're back, more action. So it's a quicker-paced game versus like a Black Flag kind of pirate simulation, you know, Sea of Thieves kind of slower, methodical. It's, it's definitely more action than Sim. So in practice, I thought that stuff actually worked worked well. Great. I always love it when you go to E3 and you feel like you have to tell a story. Yeah. Where it leaves such an impact on you that you remember every detail and you can't wait. Yeah. Do it more exactly as you described. Yeah. That is why you get to go first, Michael Huber, because that's a perfect example of what Noodles should be. And you're proving that you can be an asset in the oncoming battle. However, I'm insulted by the lack of... Of the comforting warmth that I get from the broth. <laughs> so you must tell me what your small game is, but before you get into it, mm -hmm. there's another little tiny lore thing that we need to address. Okay. The Master Chef has terrible eyesight, <laughs> as do you. Mm -hmm. uh, and last time, because you decided to try Chef Kyle Bossman's Devil Noodles, there was a single red hair growing out of your eyebrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now that you have presented the noodles, the hair's gotten longer. Oh, no. Because of my, the chef's, not my, the chef's yeah. poor eyesight, he cannot tell. Okay. So you're in the clear for right now. Okay, good. <laughs> what is your broth? Now, <laughs> I was book solid with appointments. I'm not making excuses. Now, some may argue that this is not broth. But in the United States, I think it is. Dragon Quest XI. <laughs> You're playing to the crowd. The most comforting, like, just a, I want to take a dive into the broth, and I want to sleep and live and bathe there. I have an extra challenge for you. Okay. The chef is a known Dragon Quest fan. He's already happy. As far as he's concerned, the battle is won. <laughs> Sitting next to us, Brandon Jones, who outside of Builders... You know, not not a giant Dragon Quest fan, but open to it, okay? Mm -hmm. Ian Hink, not a huge Dragon Quest fan, but potentially open it. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to convince them more than you're going to have to convince the chef. And I'm going to ask Brandon Jones and Ian Hink at the end of this if you have convinced them. <laughs> okay. okay. Alright. So, Dragon Quest Eleven, The first true... Like the next step in this franchise, the 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 not only the first uh, mainline Dragon Quest since Dragon Quest Nine, because we never got ten in the United States, uh, but the first giant next step of for Dragon Quest since eight, you know, because nine nine was kind of stripped down. Dragon Quest Eleven is a game 
that is begging to be completed to its fullest 100 percent every single thing in this game gentlemen every character every npc is beaming with personality with style i started out just in my home village and you're getting ready to go on a journey and everyone is just wishing you well isn't that jolly <laughs> every single person is saying you know it's time you get out of the nest. It's time you explore the wide open world. Do you get a do you get a sense of like history with, with these par- characters that are in your village? Do you yes. get a sense that they know each other? Is it like nice casual conversation or is it weird like whoa, a person that I've known for years would never say that to me? No. There was a familiarity with these characters. They were like, "Hey, you know, it may be rough, but I, I've known you for a long time. I know you're strong. You're going to be okay out there. Just remember, this was the coziest uh, line that I heard out of all of E3. She said, you know, you're going to be out on the journey. The world's harsh. But you can always come back and sleep in your own bed. Do, <laughs> do people say these things to you? Yeah. Like when you go home, do your mom and dad tell you, like, you're ready for the journey ahead? My parents? Yes. Yes. Okay. They do. They, they say, you know, it's hard out there. Yeah. My bed at my parents' house is still open to me. Just for you. Yeah. Like, ready to go. So if you were to go tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's say it's 1 a.m. Yep. Bed is ready for Michael Huber because yep. of his parents. Got my key right here. Always have my house key. Okay. Yep. So Dragon Quest, it's... it's traditional it's honoring the legacy of japanese role-playing games but they're really making a concentrated effort to make it streamlined for the west they've added because sometimes you know there's an assumption that western gamers are slightly uh impatient when it comes to video games they added a run button (laughs) seems small seems simple meaningful addition you lose your horse, you go on a little sprint. They added campgrounds. Jolly campgrounds where you go up, there's a there's a, a fireplace, multiple fireplaces in the world, Jones. You can go camp, cook, talk to your party, sleep out in the wild. There's even uh, context for it. He says, hey, look, I know. You're going to you're going to be afraid to go to sleep out in the in the woods. Monsters are going to come up and attack you. But luckily, I've put up these campgrounds next to these holy shrines that should protect you from the monsters. Everything's contextualized. Uh the the village I was in, again just just brimming with life. All the characters, all the conversations felt natural. Uh they felt impactful. And the combat. The combat is as great as ever. It's traditional turn-based combat. But you have to you have to think. You have to think who you're gonna attack first. You know, you're you're always thinking one step ahead. Some enemies like to charge up, like the bunny corns. You better take them out what first. What is a bunny corn? A bunny corn is a cross between a bunny and a unicorn. Wow. They like to charge up and ram the unicorn horn right into your belly. Massive damage. Take them out first. There's uh, 
uh, cruel cumbers. One of the it's best. like a, a, a cucumber, a cucumber with a spear. Do they like, wiggle like that? They like wiggle like this, and it's really unsettling, but they have a smile on their face, so it's jolly. <laughs> uh, the horse can just run over enemies. I, I, I beelined it for this massive town, like Heliodor, I think it was called. And I was there for two minutes, and it, it just gave me this sensation that I haven't had since like hitting the first town in Final Fantasy 12, you know? I was ready to just explore the nooks and crannies, go, like go shop for items. What a good town to pull too. That first, mm. oh, oh, yeah. That's the vibe I got. Huber, let's say I'm somebody in Twitch chat right now and I'm mm. thinking to myself, man, Michael Huber really knows how to sell comfort in a game. This seems like a place it's... that I would want to go in. I want to see the, the, the cruel cumber that's wiggling its butt. But man, if I'm going to be playing this for... 50, 60, 100 hours? I think turn-based combat sucks. I've done it. I've cast the fireballs. I've hit the attack. I've seen them run up and hit the enemy. It's slow. It's boring. I've done it. I've been there. Is there something special here? Is there something that makes Dragon Quest XI interesting in that style of combat over a really long period of time? I will tell you one very, very important thing. There are absolutely no random encounters so i feel like that's extremely important because when you play a turn-based battle game and sometimes like with random encounters you just want to get to the place you're supposed to go it's like yo i finished the quest i just want to get back home and give the dude the medallion that i found you can do that you can get on your horse and just ride you can run the enemies over you don't have to worry about it so no random encounters, I think, will alleviate some of the tedium that is usually associated with uh, ran uh, with turn-based battles. Engage with it if you want to. Engage with it if you want to. There's also uh, opportunities to fight maybe less than you have to because of side quests. Mm -hmm. So I think of Dragon Quest Eight. There's no real side quest opportunities. So if you wanted to continue the main storyline and you weren't a high enough level. You just have to grind it out in these, you know, just grind and grind and grind, battle, battle, battle. I think the side quests, because they give you experience, because they give you items, it's going to be a way to alleviate kind of that grind. This feels like the most streamlined dragon quest uh, that I have ever played. The chef was convinced that the words Dragon Quest Eleven, but Brandon Jones, Ian Hink, I need your evaluation. <sighs> Has your interest increased, stayed the same, or decreased? <laughs> My interest has slightly increased. I, I, of course, when I consume, when I create, when I hunger and thirst for noodles and broth, uh, I, I, I crave warmth, uh, and that's what I feel here. And uh, just being reminded of it, you know, gives me a sense of warmth. But uh, uh, pointing out some some specific points that I didn't think of and what is really, truly valued by Michael Huber in this experience um, makes me cherish that experience just a little bit more. Favorable review. Ian Hink, has your interest changed? My interest has slightly increased. Oh. Uh, my I think interest, we accomplished your great feat tonight. Yes, my interest went from almost nothing to 
slightly less almost nothing. Uh, and I'll tell you the one thing that, that raised my interest. It was when you contextualized the campsites as being placed near holy shrines. Because... The main character was like a kid, right? Sort of young. And I remember, I remember being a younger kid, a teenager kid, like early teens, and uh, that kind of that kind of protection, that kind of ward, that sort of mode of thinking is kind of important to you. Especially, I remember camping out. Like I would have a little like medallion or tchotchke or something that I thought would somehow protect me from the from the wilderness, and that that seems very cozy vibes to me. So, slight increase. Ian, have we convinced you enough, and I would like for this to happen, that when you're at a store and you see Dragon Quest XI on a shelf, you will pick it up and look at the back of the box. That's all you have to do. Sure, I would look at the back of the box. All right, so... I'm not going to purchase this game. Sometime sometime after release, you will look at the back of the box in a retail store. Yeah. Okay. And And I'll go, huh. Yep, and then put it back. Could you just take you a picture for, for proof? Sure, yeah. Thank you. Not promising I will read any of the words. Can on you the back read of one word? Okay. I think probably in scanning it down, I'll probably, my yeah. brain will take in a few. Great, yeah, yeah. great. Okay. Uh, so normally, Huber, after you would present your noodles and broth, yeah. uh, I would taste it and evaluate them and, and give you a word of deliciousness. However, we are trying to pull my devil trigger, and the only way for that to happen is for me to eat all three noodles and broth at the same time. In order for that to happen, you are all working together to create an ultimate mixture of noodles and broth. Michael Huber made a strong case. Brendan Jones, you are going to have to assist him here. We're going to start with something unconventional. Because I need to train you in unconventional warfare against the devil noodle users, you're going to be starting with your broth. Ooh. Oh my. All right. Um, I I have I have to start by saying that uh, the ingredients that I'm going to be putting in my dish this evening, I have been preserving for several weeks. Uh, as you know. Uh, this 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 time of, of consumption that mm-hmm. we are in this uh-huh. era uh, is is not just uh, uh, three days. It's not just six days. Uh, there are, there are several days leading up to uh, this wonderful time for us to gather and consume. You are an E three judge, this which is, <laughs> is not known by many people. Yes, but E three judges are also excellent chefs. That is, uh, yeah. We I, I yes I I am I'm not resting on my laurels here. Right. You know. I, I want I want my my uh, what I am preparing for you to speak for itself. I, I do not want any special treatment as an E three judge. No, never, except if it's Dragon Quest Eleven. Except but never, of course, of never course. up beyond that. But I, you know, it's I I, I can't uh, settle on that. I have to choose something else. Okay. Um, uh, the broth I have for you today, I believe, possibly the chef has not heard of before. Uh, the the broth and the noodles uh, are both genres. Uh, that deal with subject matter uh, that is potentially out of my comfort zone. Uh, but they are things that uh, I was fascinated by, I was impressed by, I thought were eye-catching and interesting. Uh, and um, uh, the broth that I have for you, uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that the chef um, is interested in cards. He has been known to spend money on packs. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, uh, I don't want to uh, make you nervous by using the terminology card game, 
That's that's an anxiety. This is a game with cards in it. Okay. But not in the way that you might think. Okay. This is a puzzle adventure game. Oh. Called Where Cards Fall. The chef has never heard of such a forbidden game. <laughs> uh, in this this game is still uh, uh, very much in development. This is a, a very early look uh, at this game that I was given at Judges Week. Uh, this is an independent game, and uh, this has a very interesting aesthetic. Uh, is the chef familiar with the game Ooblets? No, and he is embarrassed at your double shot. Of unknowingness against him. <laughs> he has not been is, embarrassed in 150 years. It is my honor to to even, you know, attempt to educate the chef. Beautiful. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is a, um, a, a very, I don't want to say cartoony style, but this is a, uh, uh, there are bold colors, um, but there isn't uh, uh, an incredible amount of detail in the colors. Uh, kind of like we saw earlier this evening with, with Ashen. You know, like a very clear separation between the colors, um, but not uh, um, just enough color, just enough depth, just enough definition uh, to um, even though there is a locked camera perspective following the action um, from not not isometric, but from from up up on uh, top looking down um, uh, just enough to uh, make the effects make when the world comes into view and when you solve these puzzles and traverse this world. Um, for, for things to animate very fluidly uh, and for the game to surprise you with its details. So when you first come into this game, um, you, you are looking down at your character and you move uh, to various scenarios in a forest. I don't know if the entire game takes place in the forest, but the demo that I played was in a forest. Okay. And uh, there were very blocky... Um, uh, sections of the forest, grass and hills and stuff like that, that were blocked off from each other. And so you would see a, a column or you would see a hill uh, that would have an area that you could not uh, uh, step on. And so you had to figure out some way to cross over. And that's where you would see in each of these little voids that you had to cross over a stack of cards. Mm. And you would have to move that stack of cards around. And with the analog stick, move them out as if you were to create a house of cards. Oh. And you could move that in various different ways. You can make a triangle, you can make a rectangle, you can make it a little bit taller. In some instances, you could separate the cards into two sections. Uh, there was a lot of shuffling in moving these parts around. And uh, I don't know, uh, of course, digital card games are their, are their own splendor, but I don't know uh, if the chef has spent a lot of time holding a deck of cards, shuffling them, yes. fanning them out at a table. That's how he spent his 20s. The, the, the simple joy of, of the, the sound of, of hearing cards being shuffled or, or being dealt uh, and possibly fanning those, thing out, those, those things out. And so when you're creating these things, uh, just, just the sound alone was very satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, seeing these cards come into play. Uh, furthermore... Uh, and this was kind of surprising and kind of a an interesting mashup of aesthetics, given that we're so deep in a forest trying to solve these little, uh, not platforming puzzles, but just traversal puzzles. Yeah. Sometimes you would have a, uh, a stack of cards that when you completed uh, your structure uh, and uh, um, made a box per se, that uh, area would then turn into a building. And when you entered that building, it was almost as if you were in a city. What? And you would walk into, say, a record store or a coffee shop. 
And even though just a moment ago you were in this dense forest uh, that had no other people around it, it was just you and I believe a friend of yours that was following you along, that was leading you along, like, come with me, we're going someplace else, you have to figure out this puzzle to get to the point where I'm at. These would be bustling. You would walk into a coffee shop and there are many people in there. They're talking. Uh, they are not using actual words. They're kind of using something akin to sim speak, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you can see text and, and talk to these people. Uh, almost kind of like you're a cat and you go home and you're dealing night with friends. In night in the woods. <laughs> kind of like the comfortable night in the woods style mm-hmm. where everyone's just kicking back and enjoying their friends. Um, you know, people have maybe a little bit of attitude, a little bit of sass. But I have to wonder, what in the heck? First of all, how did I build this coffee coffee shop out of cards? Right. Second of all, why is there a coffee shop in the middle of this forest? I wish I had the answers for the chef. But the developer who was there in attendance at this event that I was at loved to be as cryptic as possible about this game. And so I'm sure as it goes along, there will be possibly more of an explanation for why you can move around to these different areas and uh, and and how possibly the plot could continue if you were to possibly be reunited with these characters yeah. and see them as you because once you exit these structures you would then collapse that building and then use those cards in another section to move along to a different area and it was a very simple demo uh there really was not much more to it than that uh but i i have to stress that um at no point, and just from personal experience, I get, can get quite frustrated with puzzle games. Yes, this even, was one of my questions. Even uh, Lego games, where it has a lot of smashing things and jumping and flipping <laughs> and stuff that I generally enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost always get stuck at one or two puzzles and become extremely frustrated. Sure. And the, uh, the, the, the gentle breeze moving through the trees, the, the wonderful color palette in this game, uh, the, the surprises that when you would create these structures of, you know, you, you would create a building and then the light would come out from the doorway and you would wonder, where am I going now? What, what, what is this going to be a blockbuster video? What's right. going to be inside of here? <laughs> Who's going to be inside of there? What's the vibe going to be? You know, what, is there going to be a, a song playing on a record player and a jukebox in the corner? Yeah. Is this potentially going to be some kind of diner or, you know, um, a bookstore perhaps? Um, so, was there music accompanying these these visual changes? Uh, did and and how was that music? I mean, when you're building the puzzles, is it very calming, and then suddenly it gets jarring and loud? Or very minimalist. Okay, this is a very relaxed experience. Cool. And I couldn't say if I was just playing the first level of this game or if this just is kind of a slice of this game that was created yeah. just for uh, judges at Judges Week, um, but. I think the most satisfying moment that I had when playing this was figuring out, especially when it came to moving two of these things around, because it wasn't just as simple as uh, as if you had like a tile puzzle and you had to just account for how much space was in this void and moving these different blocks of cards around, but you had to set up maybe one uh, a set of cards at a certain height or width or distance from you so you could jump to it and then set up the other one so you could jump to that and then move the first one around so you could then get to that. Gotcha. Uh, And I found that very satisfying. Uh, This was a very low-stress game. This is something where, almost in a a Firewatch sense, if you can imagine the color palette in Firewatch, in that sense where I wouldn't go as far as to say it's realistic, but you definitely get a sense of depth uh, and uh, you definitely get a sense that you are you are in a natural environment, uh, and even though there aren't uh, woodland creatures around me, I do get the sense that I am in a realistic forest, uh, and I am very curious to see more of this game. So, 
You mentioned being able to make different shapes out of cards, mm -hmm. uh, but also taking these shapes and positioning them in different places. Do you feel like one was more emphasized than the other? Is it like, okay, I, I kind of know exactly how to make this, so I have the pieces, and that's not the part I need to figure out. It is just the arranging of things and the moving of things. Yes. Or is it a combination of both? Um, it, yeah, it's, it's mostly... It, it, it's not hard to identify where the puzzle is. You, know, you can very clearly see this is the void I have to cross. This is where my tools are to do that. Um, but as I mentioned before, just the simple joy of having a stack of cards unfold into a structure and then fold back down. And keep in mind, this is not just a button that you're pressing. You are actively moving the analog stick up. And the more you push the stick, the more it starts to fan out. Yeah. So you can just kind of almost if it's breathing... You know, uh, just just tactily, that was enjoyable. So dealing with these different shapes that increase in size and trying to slot them into place, are you having to orient the camera around a lot? Do the camera like... is locked. Okay, the camera is locked, it, so you it, always have a clear view. At most, some of the areas I was in had a little bit of a left to right or right to left. Okay. So once I got to a certain area, the camera would move a little bit. Um, but it definitely the 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 your positioning with the elements in the environment were the primary part of the gameplay. There's nothing that gives me greater pleasure on Frame Trap, and I mean this, when than when a panelist tells me about a game that I've never heard before that immediately fills me with joy and curiosity. That is what you have done. That is what Blood has done with Onrush. That is what Kyle has done with Game Gear games, and you are con continuing that tradition. But you've got a part one of part two. Yes. And so we can't dance around just yet. We can't cruel yes. cumber out right now. Yes. <laughs> because you got to bring the big boy. Yes. I wouldn't I'm not going to tell the chef that this is one of the biggest headline games to come out of E3 2018. You have to tell him. Uh, I, <laughs> I will not say that this is a game that is necessarily on my radar. And I will furthermore say that I am downright terrible at this game. Even if I wanted to play this game, I don't know if I could finish it. This is a daunting game. This is a daunting franchise. And this is a franchise that has been around for a very long time. And so for that reason, I think that this is a big title. This is something that is worthy of mention. And this is something that a lot of people who are either at E3 2018 or not at E3 2018 in person are very interested in hearing more about. And that is Total War Three oh. Kingdoms. <laughs> I am pleased. <laughs> Total War Three Kingdoms takes place in ancient China in a grand battle between three massive kingdoms. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Why? A story that I'm told... The, the sous chef is taken aback. <laughs> Hand uh, to chef. Has been told many times. And... The story is something that the developers uh, who have made many Total War games, as the chef might be aware of, yeah. but this is a genre, this is a time period that they have never uh, covered before. Right. Uh, and so uh, there was definitely a line between, you know, uh, let's let's bring historians in. They have, they brought in a, uh, a, a someone who has done potentially more research than most people on the planet, I think has written like in the teens of books about this era. And so not only brought their expertise uh, to making sure this was as accurate as possible, but obviously they wanted to add their own bits of lore. And so it is based on uh, historical fact, but 
the actual events that are taking place, some of the enemies that you are going up against, the heroes that you are playing are um they took had a little bit of creative liberty, you know, to to create their own campaign, to put all of these sequences in in the order that they wanted to to increase the drama. Um one of the things that struck me about this game was the comparison to uh, the last time that I, I sat down here and prepared noodles uh, and broth, and I did not speak of the Total War game that I played there uh, at, at that uh, Judges Week, uh, Warhammer Total War. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, played the demo. I watched a demo being played of Warhammer Total War and then played it and successfully completed the mission. When I played Warhammer, I very much enjoyed that. Uh, there were not a lot of barriers in that demo. There was a a I was um, uh, lizard people, and I believe I was fighting a bunch of elves. Uh, there was uh, dragons that would come Good in. There fight. were other there were other hero units. Um, but uh, as I like to do in strategy games, uh, whether it is a tower defense or a real time strategy, I like to get as many units as I can, and I just like to rush them all in at once. Yeah, <laughs> and that might not have been the most entertaining method, but uh-huh. it worked. I got my ass handed to me so fast in this demo, it was not even funny. I, <laughs> how fast I, is fast? I bear, Well, nothing is very fast in, in, in Total War. Sure. Total War is a, a slow, deliberate process, much like war itself. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, if you can imagine a uh, Chinese city, I guess you would call it. I'm, I'm struggling for the correct term. Not a, not a temple, but uh, this is a, 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 a neighborhood. This is where people live. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is... Uh, a succession of uh, squared walls that's that eventually so there's you know one square another square within that another yeah. square within that uh, and then the you know the um, the people that are, are ruling this area live right smack dab in the middle thus to maximize security right so you have to get past several gates to get to the center of this and so you very much have to strategize where you're going to choose to attack, what forces you're going to do, whether you're going to actually try to get through the doors and risk funneling all of your troops through a very, very small point, or whether you're going to use uh, your catapults and some of your stronger units to actually possibly topple some of these walls, maybe burn them down or crush them with with heavy objects. Did you topple any walls? I definitely did not. Okay. Uh, the uh, demo that was so I, I witnessed a demo of this being played successfully uh, and then attempted to recreate that uh, and failed uh, but in the demo that I saw many walls were destroyed uh, much ass was kicked and it was very very entertaining to watch um, uh, in the demo that you saw was there like how much did they split up the forces and, and from what positions did they attack a lot okay so the the Put you at one specific side of this yes. uh, of this uh, structure that you're trying to to get into. Um, there is a, a main gate. He sends most of his forces towards that main gate. Uh, sets another group of forces off to the left. They wait in reserve. They get ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the catapult the catapults focus on the wall in front of them, knocking down the wall. Uh, he was. Uh, 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 Pleasantly surprised how much of the wall fell down. The person that was uh, on the microphone being like, oh, he actually got a little, little more than was expected. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, once those walls came down and the enemies come rushing in to you know, create a barrier there so the troops don't come in, that's when the fire archers unleash their volley. And I don't know if Chef knows this. I'm, I'm a fan of bows and arrows. Yeah, the biggest. Mm-hmm. So seeing you know, arrows blotting out the sun, as they say. <laughs> Uh, was very satisfying seeing those arrows land and light these troops on fire zooming the camera in so you can hear the enemies screaming in pain as they die on the battlefield in flame and failure i need to know just throughout your life 
have you ever written in a story or on a piece of paper the arrows blotted out the sun? No, but I <laughs> I believe I have heard it spoken. Okay. I hope you I hope I you have do. read it as well. I've okay. read it and then heard it spoken. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, continue. And like you said, uh, like you had asked before, mm-hmm. um, so this is his reserve army that now, with these walls destroyed and uh, these uh, um, replacement troops trying to uh, uh, stem the flow of the uh, your 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 second army rushing through there, now taken out by fire arrows, uh, then his smaller section of the army is now free to move in through this wall. But there is plenty of army left, so they they, they aren't just running hog wild through this area. They are stopped almost immediately by several other troops. Uh, and as you as you are in Total War, this is not um, a game that I am much better at than Total War, something like StarCraft. You are individually selecting units. Each unit is within itself composed of several soldiers. Uh, and so it's almost impossible to identify one individual soldier when you pull the camera back as far as it can go. Mm-hmm. And so this just looks like a bunch of ants just crawling all over themselves. So then he actually manages, with the distraction, with these uh, uh, archers that are up on the wall and with their own catapults ha- being you know, stuck between two possible areas, don't necessarily focus as much on that center wall. He's able to, with his cavalry uh, and with uh, his strongest army, run right through the gate, knock that gate down, and start funneling his group uh, through the middle part. That would be awesome just to pull off. Oh man. So just slowly but surely, yeah. you know, these start to come Breaking in and I'm in. and I'm imagining the horror of these generals watching that gate fall right. and watching these enemy troops slowly start coming in. Um the fire archers then turn their aim at the houses of this area, which you would think serve no tactical purpose because there is no threat. This is just where people are living. Sending a message. But what that does is it demoralizes the yeah. troops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which slows them down, decreases their accuracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, just you know, uh, is is something potentially that you can do. Uh, also, demoralizing uh, potentially, it was very difficult for them to pull off. Is uh, the hopefully overcoming of the hero units, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe this is something that they have dabbled with before, um, but uh, this was fascinating to watch because um, in you know. Um, uh, I, in my limited exposure to Asian culture, mm-hmm. uh, there is a def- definite drama in the standoff, you know, between these hero, you know, characters. And so, and these are uh, some characters that they made up, some characters that they actually took, you know, from history. And so the mission, the, the, uh, the, the objective of this mission is to take down this general uh, who has lied, who has, you know, murdered, who has committed all sorts of atrocities. And uh, that unit this entire battle is waiting right in front of this last temple and it takes a good amount of time to eventually start working through all of these troops to open up these lanes so you can get your own hero units in and uh the uh player sends his hero units in to have a one-on-one duel with this hero character uh these were um motion captured so oh, if you wow. if you look back you can see their morale and you can see how that's going you can you can see their health and you can see how that battle is going you move all the way in and i mean this is i'm getting i'm getting hints of jade empire with the with the the, the this this choreography the um uh uh the general that you were trying to take down is on horseback uh and they're making passes on each other on their horseback yeah. he knocks our hero off the horse and then kills him the player sends in another general. He loses as well. Sends in another one. He loses. 
finally sends in a fourth. And it's not until this fourth and last hero goes in and fights that uh, the the army is too demoralized. Uh, he has already taken too much damage, and they're finally able to defeat him, ending in the cutscene of these you know the the armies swarming him and him finally admitting defeat. And then I played it and did very poorly. I, <laughs> I, I, I basically just, just got just past the walls. Um, but there were other great moments too. I mean, uh, just these these clashes is not something where it's like. Let's see who wins this. Oh, it was this army. Okay, moving on to the next area. Like right. five, ten minutes go by, and they're still fighting. Like you're still seeing just you know losses on both sides. Right. You're describing an, an intense, arduous battle, and for somebody that has never really sat down and played a Total War game before, I think you're doing a brilliant job of describing it. Um, and you've successfully hyped me up quite a bit. I do have a question. So you alluded to the morale with the arrows, um, and morale is a very important thing in these games. Uh, if you send your warriors into unfavorable battles or if they're just losing horribly, they will they will retreat. They will break away. Were your soldiers retreating from you as you were fighting? I don't know if I got to that point okay. because most of my failure came from me possibly sending too many forces into a mm -hmm. place they should not have been. Okay. So I don't know if they got the chance to. When by were, my poor direction. When you were playing, were you highlighting over individual units, trying to see what they were all about, uh, what they were good at, what they were bad at, that sort of thing? Uh, was that information easy to digest and easy to find within the game? Yes. The problem was, uh, as you can imagine, as someone who just went through three grueling days of appointment after appointment, there's not a ton of time to really absorb all of this stuff as much as you would like to. Yes. Uh, one thing that's really great is... Uh, and, and, and I think does an effective job of building the drama is this initial standoff right at the beginning of the mission. So they don't attack you. You are the one that's attacking this base. So you're just standing there with all of your troops in reserve ready to go. And so in that moment, if I had the time, I could, you know, zoom in and, you know, check out every troop and see them. Uh, they, they made a, a, a point to talk about the style of the game mm -hmm. and how they really looked at uh, ancient Chinese art and then tried to use that when they were creating the small little icon to showcase what the, the enemies were so it's not just a picture of them or a simple drawing. Each one of these little uh, icons that, to denote these characters in the HUD is its own kind of beautiful work of art with little watercolor splashes and uh, a white background with a really powerful... Um, beats of color to really accentuate faces or armor or weapons. Um, and so uh, the, the, the style in the cutscenes and in even uh, the tutorial screens that they showed up to teach us how to play the game was very consistent throughout. Brandon, I was excited for this just because of the, the, the setting and what they had shown and how you battle. But the detail that you went into for this game has me so amped to play it when it comes out. And it's something I never would have expected you to bring to Noodles and Broth, so thank you very much for that delicious treat. It's an honor. But we don't get to eat it just yet because we have, last but certainly not least, the wonderful Ian Hink. Ian, there's a lot of pressure on you. There is. There's been a lot of noodles presented to the chef and a lot of broth. Yeah. And you've never fed him before. He's a little hungry. Mm. What are you going to serve up for your noodles that is that is going to blow me away and separate yourself from these two experienced culinary geniuses? Well, <clears throat> I think that for my noodles, uh, I think that what I've what we've seen so far uh, in the noodles and in the broth 
uh, are exciting, fresh new games or takes on old classics. But what we're lacking on is something a little weird. And I think that the chef is familiar with this noodle that I'm going to present. In fact, we spoke about this noodle at length not one day ago. Perhaps two? I don't know what day it is. Uh, but my noodle, my noodles are Control. Ooh. And Control is a game by Remedy, written by the illustrious Sam Lake, who's looking sharp, by the <laughs> he, way. He Did I you see the, him? I saw him on the IGN Youthful, stage. Youthful, energetic, happy. Yeah. yeah. He, he came in as Good we were form, waiting to see a game that may or may not be involved in my broth, but uh, and he was standing there in a full three-piece suit. Very fancy man. Uh, but Control, we spoke about it yesterday, so I won't go on for overlong, but it is a game where you play as the new director of the Federal Bureau of Control that is in charge of altered artifacts, bizarre items that have some strange powers over space and reality and time uh, and you become the new director in a period of unrest of upheaval of strange change and you uh, take on the service weapon that only the director can use you inhabit the 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 home base of the Bureau of Control which is referred to as the oldest house which is a brutalist uh, inspired amorphous, perhaps multi-dimensional uh, building that changes shape, changes form uh, through the power of ritual. Uh, and as the new director, whose name I believe is Jesse? Jamie. Jamie? Jesse. Jesse. Starts with a J, Jesse. The new director, uh, Jesse, has to perform rituals <laughs> to access different parts of the oldest house things like placing her hand on the middle of ley lines on the floor and saying an incantation similar to this is my house i belong here i have control uh to pulling a light switch cord a certain number of times and manifesting an entirely new wing of the building and all of this is in service of maintaining, I imagine, control over these bizarre phenomenon. And the gameplay looks very solid, perhaps the most solid of any retro, uh, Remedy game uh, to date. It looks very promising, very fast, very complex, very intuitive. Um, and the story and style of this game are very intriguing to me very impressive to me and i cannot wait to play this game uh next year so you mentioned uh it being weird and that being valuable and i agree yeah. and you see control and you see how the environments shift and bend and change on a dime and how exciting that all is my problem sometimes with weird storytelling when it works it's brilliant it's wonderful and it will stick with you forever a lot of times it doesn't work, though, because right. when you have weird, vague storytelling, um, you sort of build it up in your mind. You fill in your own blanks. And if the way that they cash in isn't as satisfying or convincing as what you've imagined, you can kind of feel disappointed or cheated. You know, I'm sure we've all had that moment where we go, oh, what? 
that's it, really? Um, and then it's no longer as exciting to be in that world. Is that something that you're worried about with this game? And is that something you're worried about given Remedy's past history? I think that that's a valid concern. From what I've seen of this game so far, the demo that I witnessed with my eyes uh, and the questions that we asked, the impression I got was they are very solid in their narrative foundations of this world, of these characters, and of the items and enemies that you um, encounter within it. Um, so I think that the key to weird fiction or this sort of genre is that you need to have a very firm grasp on the rules and what's happening in your world, and then you explain it only as much as you need to to get to make things make sense, but to keep things mysterious. Mm -hmm. um, and not sort of a J.J. Abrams mystery box kind of thing where you're just asking broad questions without knowing answers, but really like where you know the answers, you hint at the answers, and then the answers just leave you wondering even more because it, it's like opening a door and letting you see out into an even larger world that is even stranger and more bizarre, but you have the foundation and the framework to understand why it's so terrifying. And I think that from what they were saying and from what we saw, that's exactly the kind of grasp they have on this reality. So I think that they'll, they'll pay it off pretty well. Two more questions. Mm. The first is you, you talk about that you, you just in that demo that you saw in the 20 minutes that you got to experience, uh, you seem convinced that they do have a solid grasp of their own world. Uh, what gives you that? What Like you say that they know the answers. What's telling you that? I think the just the little hints that are there and the confidence with which the the demo kind of held itself and the way that the devs spoke with such confidence about their world mm -hmm. it belied it, it 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 communicated to me that they were so sure of their footing that they were willing to show you this weird slice of the middle of this game that kind of just drops you into the total insanity and they were certain that there was enough there for you to grab onto, that you could get your footing and run with them. And I think that it totally paid off. Because if they just showed us the beginning of this game where things were... Because I, mean, I imagine that the game starts off kind of in our reality, and right. then things ramp up. And while that would have been cool, and I'm sure in the game it'll be very satisfying to ramp up with them, I think that this is a much more powerful way to just jump in and... The other, the other side to that coin is that the main character doesn't react in a way that is um, fearful or confused by any of the crazy things that are happening. So mm -hmm. she touches the Benikoff TV, which I believe is what it's called. It's labeled by a sign. It's one of these altered artifacts or whatever. Uh, she touches it. It spins away and then like breaks through the wall and this like MC Escher vortex of crazy walls goes back. She doesn't go like, whoa, shit. You know, right. she's just like, okay, yeah, like that's what the Benikoff TV does. Ah. I knew this was what was going to happen. I have to go in here because I'm looking for someone. And like the the combination of the devs and the character within the world 
having their feet on solid ground uh, is very intriguing and and very reassuring to me. I think those are both really good points, and I wish you could uh, have been there when we were asking uh, the developers at Remedy some questions, because myself, Bradley Ellis, Michael Huber, and Ian Hank threw a lot at them. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just question after question after question, and there were other people in there, but it felt like they were all coming from us. Yeah. Uh, because we were so excited and so convinced in what we saw, and you're totally right, Ian, we threw a lot at them, and they didn't bat an eye. Like They answered it very clearly, they elaborated on it, and they gave us a strong sense um, that they do know, the and they kind knew of world that all building. the weird references. Yeah, they did. Weird they threw a lot of weird references at them. And they knew mm -hmm. all of them. Uh, last question. Mm. So, for as weird and delightfully weird as Control is, it is still a game where you're shooting things. Yeah, yeah you have a crazy gun, but you're shooting monsters, um, and you know you're using your powers and stuff. But those. You know, if you really strip them down and you start to be reductive about it, that's something we've done in countless games. Right. And there are countless games coming out in which we will do things that are vaguely reminiscent of what Control is presenting. Do you, do you worry at all or do you think the combat will be strong enough to complement this real, real world or will the gameplay be kind of droll in an otherwise exciting setting? I think... My hope, and I think there is some evidence for this hope, is that um, due to the sort of like unlocking of new abilities uh, that they presented in this game by finding objects of power that you then take on to your person, um, one of which is the, the service weapon that you have, it cycled through several different modes that we didn't see what they did. So some of those might not even be necessarily weapons they could be tools of some other nature that we haven't seen um those you unlock as you go through the game but also um picking up floor to protect yourself hurling things at enemies and levitating in a strangely realistic we've talked about this but in a strangely realistic kind of like uh, she needs to adjust as she's levitating um i imagine that later powers that you gain um can i would hope that they branch out in other ways and make you do things that are very unexpected and strange because already the combination of the telekinesis the power or the shield f using the floor and the levitation while shooting makes the combat feel pretty different from a lot of things i've seen hmm. i mean like sure in tribes and other things you can levitate or jetpack around and shoot you know an anthem coming up you can do that too but this one the combination of like how like how much effort it seems to take her to keep herself levitating while shooting and com combining with all these powers. I think that the interplay of all the powers once you get your full arsenal will be really interesting and something special. So I think, hopefully, hopefully, that that won't be a problem, that it'll feel run-of-the-mill. It's a good first step. Yeah. Chef Hink. <laughs> but we are on to the last part of this summoning process. Two of the bowls, the ones already presented, have a golden aura around them. We are waiting for Chef Hinks to shine. This broth will have to pierce the heavens. What do you have for us? Well, I was going to do something a bit unorthodox, and I was going to offer the Master Chef a choice. I don't want choices, I want answers. <laughs> when you said that it needed to pierce the heavens, the choice was made. Oh! Good retort. Between 
The choice would have been between uh, a tabletop RPG that was explained to me at length that I am certain no one else has ever heard of in this room, uh, or a game that I played for 40 minutes whose creator I interviewed that has that everyone has heard of. And the reason I would make it broth is not because it is not a large title, because it is certainly well-known, but because the shoes it has to fill are so astronomically large that it seems almost impossible. And the amount that this game has progressed and evolved over time, based on from when it was revealed uh, and funded to today, is staggering. And I know that we plan on speaking about it later with some more people, so I won't go, again, into too much detail here. But Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is my bra. Okay. And I played it. Uh, The demo had two choices. It was, uh, you could start from the very beginning. Did you start from the beginning? Yes. You could start from the very beginning, or you could choose the save file that they had that started you right at the final, uh, or at the first boss. That is what Brad and I did. That's what I did. And uh, you continue from there, and I did that. Um, And it was interesting because... That's relief, because I looked ahead at you and saw you in the castle, and I was like, wow, I'm taking my time. (laughs) No, I started on a save, yeah. Uh, Brandon and I are playing it right... I was in front of him, and he was behind me. Uh, But... uh, it started you uh, right at an encounter with G-Bell, who you may know from Curse of the Moon as the sort of Alucard-esque character. Mm-hmm. Um, Love his outfit in Ritual of the Night. Very, that, that's part of what I wanted to talk about, yeah. actually. The character designs and the, the way this game looks has improved exponentially. Yeah. Uh, where at first I was worried and a bit turned off by the trailer... Uh, now I am very excited for this game. I think the 2.5D graphics um, bring something special to it. The game breaks down uh, into kind of a, a 3D view, like in line with the characters as they speak to each other. Uh, you get a really good look at the character models. It has kind of a cool outlined, it's not really cell shaded, but sort of artistic look that I really like. Um, Whereas in the original CG trailer, everything looked way too CG and kind of like claymation-y or there like was, There was a flatness to everything I saw in Bloodstained last year that yeah. was not present here. Right. Things feel alive and vibrant, and there's full voice acting, way more side characters and side quests than I expected at all. When you get to the hub world, uh, which I'm not sure if you got there in the demo, but... Uh, you meet you meet three characters at a time at one time, and they set up a little hub with shops and uh, side quests. And you meet other characters who uh, I met a woman who like I was kind of trying to read through through things pretty quickly yeah. to try to get to the gameplay, but I needed to find her husband or some such thing. <laughs> and uh, so you agree to the side quest. There are literal like side quests that you agree to, which I didn't expect in this game. Um, but the most important thing to me. Uh, loving symphony at night so much uh the weapon variety is there's so much so many different weapons i played uh i fought the first boss with a gun uh which i realized would be a great choice because it was uh kind of far away from me and it just decimated that thing the gun was so powerful it was an incredible amount of damage but 
You did have ammunition for it. So yeah. you had like we I were think using, 50 some bullets or something. There were there was I saw two in the menu. There was unlimited or infinite ammo, which I imagine is much weaker. And right. then there was the I think it was called SP ammo or something right. like that, which yeah, was limited. Um which did like 26 and what damage you per shot. The, the dam- yeah. demo with with yeah. that ammo type, yeah. Uh and then I tried a, a heavy sword, I tried the whip, I tried a rapier, I tried uh, I found a secret like under the castle and I found a like wide slash sword that I ended up using for most of it. I tried the shoes. So Kung Fu shoes. Did they tell you, because they told Brad and I, and we lit up when we found this out, so you have uh, shards, which uh, is basically magic that yeah. you can use. When you uh, kill an enemy, a shard will come out and hit you, and yeah, then you get and you new can, power. Oh, the first boss you fight is this huge tentacled creature, yeah. and when you kill the boss, you get a shard, and it just summons the tentacles from the background of the screen, and just starts decimating Does everything huge there. damage. Does huge damage. I encountered a mid-boss and killed it in one hit with, of that. With yeah. that the and I was like, oh, well, that, that took care of that. Um, but the weapons, some of the weapons themselves have their own special moves that consume oh. the same meter as the shard abilities. So you would get this long sword, uh, with the dull blade, and he said, hey, do quarter circle forward motions oh, and hit the attack button. Just like in Symphony of the Night. And you can chain the quarter circles together for a combo. Oh my and goodness. And really really good I'm I'm happy to hear that I did not know that yes. but that makes total sense because yes. that was one of my favorite things in Symphony of the Night when you every time you get a new sword you go back forward uh, attack to try out the special move to see mm-hmm. if it had one and every time it did it was like oh my god I think the Alucard sword teleports you to the other side of them and you slash that's a really good one that might be the katana whatever um, we interviewed Iga uh, and it was very fun uh, I asked him I won't spoil his answer because it's glorious but I asked him what his favorite weapon was, and his answer was very funny. Um, look forward to that interview coming out in a the few days. The chef likes a tease. Yeah. But um, what I, mainly what I wanted to say, because I know we're going to talk about it more a little later, but uh, I just thought that I was very nervous about Bloodstained when it f- was first revealed. When we played it the last time, what was that? PSX? Uh, the last time I played it was E3 2017. Okay, it must have been then. Uh I played it then, and I was nervous, but less nervous. Now I am not nervous at all. Yeah. I think that this game is going to be very good. It is in a very good place. It feels great to play. Can't wait to unlock a double jump. And, and I don't want people to take what you just said for granted, um, where it's like, hey, I played a game at E3, and you know what? I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's much more than that, because like you said, the shoes that it has to fill within people's minds, right. whether you think that's justified or not, that is the battle that it's fighting. Mm-hmm. And also, I think we're still dealing with the stinging, lingering sense of Mighty Number no. 9. You yeah. know, and I think that created a lot of skepticism uh, that this, you know unfairly has to battle against as well. And right. so I, you saying that I, th- I think is a really important thing. Yeah. For sure. Be excited. Okay. This is my bra. I've mm. got good news for you, Chef Hank. Much like Brandon Jones and Michael Huber, your bowl is now glowing a golden aura, <sighs> which means we have fulfilled the requirements to attempt to pull the devil trigger. Now... Now, you might have asked yourself at the beginning of this, how is a chef going to consume three bowls of noodles at once? Well, it's not a normal method of eating. What we're going to have to do 
is we are all going to have to hold hands. <laughs> and we are going to have to lift them to the skies. And I am going to have to say the phrase convincingly enough for it to happen. But Damiani, before I do so, I have one last request, and that is let it play. Pull my devil trigger! It didn't work. In fact, the chef falls to the ground. His eyes flash wide, and his final words are, Why are all of your eyebrows red? And he dies. Oh my god. Bornobu Shizuya could not pull his devil trigger. Where will all our chefs go from here? We'll have to find out in one year. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to uh, Noodles and Broth. Thank you for dealing with my just absolutely nonsense lore. And really... Sincere thank you. It's not easy to get up here and, and play along with the bits as well as they did and uh, present the games with as much detail as all of them did. And, you know, they were all respectful of one another, and I think they gave a really great rundown of their games. So, round of applause for Michael Huber, Brandon Jones, and Ian Hink. <laughs>